G'day, and welcome to the Pandemi Show. Stories of the Pandemi for people living in the Pandemi. No one is alone on the Pandemi Show. Dave talks to James about getting off a plane in Toronto before it takes off for Los Angeles on March 17, 2020. He also shares how LA's toilet paper shortage foreshadowed Toronto's five days later. James ended up going to LA in July and shares the stark differences between Canada and the US. He also shares his experience quarantining off-grid in the bush for 14 days. Hey, and welcome to the Pandemic Show. It is Monday, December 28th, and today we're talking with James Gangle. James, how are you today? I'm great, David, how are you doing? I'm grateful that you're able to be with us. Those of you who don't know James, James started off the pandemic in LA and he's since returned home to Toronto. I know James because I follow him on social media. James is involved in improvisational comedy, popular culture and the arts. What was your life like before the pandemic started? I was in LA. I'm an actor and a writer. And what that means is most of the time I'm trying to get work and not actually working. So, you know, auditioning and coming up with my own creative stuff and trying to pitch stories for people to to buy or to hire me to be on their writing staff, stuff like that. So coming up to the pandemic, I actually flew back to Toronto. I think it was March 13th for uh, a chemistry read for some CBC show. I was pretty excited about that. I was meant to fly back on the Sunday. So I think it was a Wednesday. My audition was on Friday and Sunday I boarded the plane. Like I was literally on the plane and texting all my friends in LA and they're like, well, LA is on lockdown. The whole industry is shutting down. You don't need to be here. And I only had carry on luggage. So I walked off the plane and was like, okay, I guess I'll stay in Toronto. And so then I was here for, uh, for five months. And I went back to put some shit in storage, and uh, now I've got a little apartment in Toronto. So, uh, sorry, life before is uh, was uh, auditioning and trying to be creative, and you know, booking the odd thing. That was basically it. And living in LA, you got it. And so, you were in Canada, you were back home, and then you were getting on a plane to go back. And there's a lockdown in LA; no point coming back. So you stayed in Canada. Yeah. But then five months later, uh, March, April, May, June, July, so back in the summer, then you went back to deal with some issues. What was it like going back in the summer? I can just back up and say what was weird was like shit was hitting the fan in the U.S. just a few days before shit was hitting the fan in Toronto. So like, for example, I left on the Wednesday on, so on Monday in LA, there was a run on all the stores and there was no toilet paper left. When I got to Toronto, people were kind of like, mm, weird, eh? This, this coronavirus is going around. So like, I, I actually went into a physical audition on March 15th and people were like, yeah, no, no, we won't, no, handshake, don't get too close. But like things were still happening. And I think it was the Saturday or the Sunday where Toronto went in lockdown. So it was like five days, you know, behind LA, if you will. It seems like we're following California's lead in so many ways. Malls, subdivisions and urban sprawl, toilet paper shortages. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Hopefully not too much urban sprawl. Yeah, that's part of LA. What really turned, the, turned me around on it was tacos and being able to play beach volleyball every Sunday. That was awesome. It's like February. Let's go play beach volleyball. I like the country. 
and I like the city. I don't, I'm not a big fan of the suburbs. LA is like 20 Mississaugas, 20 big suburbs all glued together, you know? The, and the toilet paper <laughs> conversation and observation, that seems to be something that people have something to say around the world. I know it didn't hit some of the people we've interviewed in Asia is hard, but apparently they have bum guns or boudets oh, yeah. where you clean yourself with a, you just give a little spritz with the water. I think that that's picking up more here now too. I've talked to some people who've actually installed those in their house just in case we ever go back down that route. And maybe it's better for the environment. I'm not really sure. Better for the environment. I think better for your butt too. If you've ever, have you ever used one of those things? Uh, no, but I'm, I have to admit, I'm curious. You should be curious. It's very good. It's very nice. It's very nice. And you feel so, much cleaner. So Canada, five days behind LA, or excuse me, Toronto, five days behind LA in terms of the toilet paper shortage. And that was the first wave in March. But then you went back, you crossed the border in the summer. Could you go into that experience? We've talked to a woman, Megs, who moved from Canada to Australia. And she said that the airport was something else traveling early on in the pandemic was something else we talked to a family who went from sedan to new zealand they said it was very different than their regular airport experience then we've talked to people like mo markham episode eight who said that the flight stopping is the best thing for the environment yeah no argument there yeah i mean um <clears throat> flying back th there was nobody at the airport so march when I was supposed to fly back, when I got off the plane on the, on, I think it was March 17th, there was nobody on the, like, at the airport. And on the plane, there were like five people. There was no one around. And then when I flew back, I think it was, yeah, late July, uh, also kind of a ghost town. But what was weird is I was preparing for my quarantine when I would return to Canada. In LA, it was like you, you land and people are like, welcome to America. There was no tracking, no, like, didn't seem like anybody cared. Like the pandemic was on, but there was no go, you know, government oversight. There was no guidance, nothing. Right. I was very cautious in LA. Like I saw a few friends, but there, there's a good portion and LA is a liberal city, right? There's a good portion of folks that really cared and a good portion of folks that really didn't. And I think you're seeing the, the fallout from that now, because LA's numbers are, it's kind of a nightmare in the last few weeks. Their intensive care is full of people with COVID, they're in a lockdown similar to Ontario right now. Yeah. And apparently there's no ICU beds left. And the, oh, the cases are like for LA is I think 10,000, 15,000 a day, something like that, like huge numbers, right? Like, yeah, it's, it's crazy. So you're in LA and was it hard to get a, you just bought a flight and went over, you go there and there's, you just get off the plane, nothing, not a poster, not any of that hand sanitizer that smells like cheap tequila no nothing like like literally nothing i mean there was probably hand sanitizer around there weren't many folks on the flight everybody wore masks again but like at that point whereas you know when i flew over in march there were a couple people wearing masks and even i was like okay take it easy but on the way back yeah everybody had masks on there was no you know regulation versus coming back right the government of Canada is like, where are you going to stay? Give us your address. We're going to follow up on you. And that was an amazing experience in itself. And my family has like a little piece of land in the Muskokas on this lake. It's very lovely. And every other plot of land around this lake has been developed into cottages and stuff. We've owned our piece of land the longest and had done nothing with it. So it's like you stepped back in time 80 years. It's just a forest lake and that's it. So I lived out in the woods for 
two weeks and gathered mushrooms and went on hikes and it was awesome. I, I was debating doing it. I thought it would be a little lonely, but I loved it. And now I long for it. I'm like, oh man, send me back to the woods. Back to the land. What type of mushrooms are you harvesting? That's kind of a family tradition to forage. So all sorts of stuff, but I was gifted with, there was a ton of rain and I picked like four or five pounds of chanterelle, which was awesome. I mean, I had chanterelle and everything I, I made for the next week, you know. <laughs> I'm also forage friendly and I like to harvest morels in the spring. Mm-hmm. I have some out in the apple orchard. And then in the fall, I love puffball pizza. Just love it. Oh, really? Yeah, 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 yeah. We love the morels too. But chanterelle, I don't forage those myself because I don't have a spot, but I hear great things. I know that they're a high-end luxury They're the best, yeah. Yeah, they're the best of the best. I mean, no, morels is right up there with them, like if I had to choose. But uh, yeah, chanterelle is delicious. While you were out on the land for your quarantine, that's interesting to hear. You're the first person I've talked to who quarantined out in nature. That's so cool because like Sean McCam is an outdoor folk singer kind of guy. And he's been telling people there is no government regulation on how close you can get to a tree. So hug them all you want, lean on them, high five. So that's pretty cool that you're out in nature. Did you have any close encounters with wildlife or anything like that? Nothing too exciting, but this lake has a ton of fish. So I, I fished a bunch and little red squirrels and chipmunks and garter snakes and stuff like that. It's chock-a-block with with uh, animals. Oh, you're, you're like a, a wild game guy, right? Yeah, I'm into, I'm into it. Yeah, I, I went on, it was awesome. Like I literally, my phone died too while I was out there. So I would go on these hikes. I would be like, okay, I guess I'm going on a six hour hike now. And I saw this fat pheasant running through the brush and I'm like, oh God, I wish I could get that. Cause you know, after a week, all my fresh produce and meat since that was all done and I was on canned stuff and I'm like oh man if I could get this pheasant delicious mm-hmm. ring neck pheasant mm-hmm. I would bug have fed <laughs> that's right so you finished up your 14-day quarantine you must have felt great coming out of the bush to go back to the city yeah I mean kind of yes and no so as an artist life is always uncertain you know what I mean? Like I never know how I have good years and I have bad years. And, and I've come to a point where I'm like, I think I'm going to make it, but I've never had such consistent work that I'm like, cool, man, my life's set. But coming out of the woods, it's like, what does my future hold? Like I, I now I'm like, LA, it took me a, a while to say, okay, I live in LA now. Now I'm like, where the hell do I live? I'm, I'm renting this apartment in Toronto month to month. When do I go back to LA? I don't know. I don't know. You know, so yeah, the level of uncertainty I, I didn't think could increase, but it has. I have no idea. And that I find is the most challenging thing around the pandemic is the uncertainty, not mm-hmm. knowing what to expect next and the isolation. Do you think that the vaccine is giving more certainty that this pandemic might be actually about to run its course? God, I hope so. I mean, I I don't know, though, like, for example, the arts and even sport, like, how soon are people going to be really excited about being shoulder to shoulder in an arena or a theater or whatever? In the best case scenario, mid next year, that's the best scenario. I usually do like the fringe circuit in Canada and do shows and stuff. And this year is done. It's canceled. Like there's no fringes going on. So great. So that's 2022 but like when is everybody going to be like cool we're cool let's do it and then things uh, the the festivals will open up the opportunity to make a living will open back up if you don't mind me asking how are you surviving with your 
your whole industry, the arts industry, the hospitality industry, they seem to be hit the hardest. Yeah, I mean, so in improv, there was never very much money in uh, live performance. I teach at the Second City and I have done taught some online classes, but that's not really a lot of money either. The industry in, in both in LA and Toronto, things are still happening more so in Toronto than down there. Basically, how am I surviving? I have some savings and I'm living off that. And I have booked a couple of small things, the EI and from the US, you know, uh, Serb up here, you know, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's how you do it. Do you think artists are better off or people are better off here with, to, to withstand the pandemic or in the States in terms of the different strategies that the federal governments have taken to support people and the provinces and States? Mm, I would say it's certainly better to uh, be in the middle of a pandemic in Canada than the U S if you don't have health insurance down there, you're so screwed, you know, there are plenty of artists that don't for sure. In dollars and cents terms, there was like a COVID top up in the US for, for EI and stuff. And that ended up being probably a little bit more than CERB. But all told, you know, here, if you're feeling sick, you can get taken care of. Whereas there, if you don't have insurance, it's your, your out of luck, man. The pandemic really has demonstrated some of the shortcomings in our systems of governments and how we organize ourselves politically and financially. What was a stark difference is like, I, again, I don't want to, this is, we've been hearing so much about it for so long, but like, you know, the state's really screwed up, man. Like, like the, the, it's a disaster. How, how come that country has the wor- the highest COVID cases and a huge death toll? It, it's insane. It could have been avoided. It could have been avoided. I came back here and even Doug Ford, when you see Trudeau, Doug Ford, What's working together? Yeah, just saying, wear your masks, stay separated. Like that was not a political thing. You know, sure, the nuts and bolts of school and what should we go back to? Fair enough, fine. But yeah. it's so drastically different than Trump being like, I'm not, I, I, masks, I'm fine with them. I'm not going to wear them. What, the, what are you doing? Like it, 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 it's insane. There's definitely different styles of leadership exhibited in both countries. That's for sure. You brought up Second City. I didn't want to go there because I'm getting a little like starstruck. But Mm -hmm. Second City, wow, the legacy. I think comedy is just so important and humor for getting people through this pandemic. I know how I found you and reached out to you is I've been watching your, your podcast about cooking. Yeah. And so I like how you pandemic pivoted into your own cooking show. I was really interested when you got the bi- the bison ground the ground bison. Yeah. Now you're cooking. I bet it tasted really good. Yeah, it was great. Spoke to your heart, huh? Your 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 game heart. Yeah, no, it was great. Uh, Second City, they're they're still teaching classes. They're all remote, obviously. None of the stages are open because they can't be. All the live theater stuff. It's it's a hard time. Uh, uh, they were doing a bunch of online shows. I don't think those are happening so much. Improv is best seen live it's hard yeah. to it's hard to translate to that medium like even whose line is it anyway which is the only improv show that is on air and has existed that long ever they film for 90 minutes and chop it down to 22 right what i've observed with people in your industry is that they're going online i've also seen stratford tried there was some theater company there that was just doing small shows mm-hmm. out in the parks Mm-hmm. Um, and then I've seen also, like you mentioned, productions being recorded to then be broadcast. Uh, technology really does seem to be helping us get through this pandemic. 
Yeah, for sure. And there's lots of, at least in my comedy community, of folks that are filming their sketches and stuff. That was happening before, but it's happening a lot more now because what else are you going to do? You started a podcast. There's tons of people that are also starting a podcast. I started my cooking show because it's like, what, what are you going to do? The yeah. human condition is to keep busy. Have there been any highlights or the, I've noticed that the slower pace of life is something positive. I don't feel that I have the stress of being busy and running around all the time because I'm not allowed to go anywhere. Yeah, I think a highlight for me, I, I was in a long distance relationship with a, with a lady from Toronto. And so when the pandemic hit, I lived with her for six months. And that really was an excellent sort of like, oh, this is what it means to actually be in a relationship with someone where you're living in the same space, you know? And I don't think, when would the point have come where I'm like, yes, you should pack all your stuff and move to LA or me be like, I'm moving back home. Like that, the pandemic was the excuse to do that. And that was great. More time for family and people that are important in your life. Yeah, forced, for sure. I think the thing that's jumped out the most to me is the, just the highlighting of the inequality. Yeah. The Black Lives Matters, the structural racism, how reconciliation isn't moving forward as fast as everybody would have, would have hoped, how it seems that the, the billionaire class is getting richer and everybody else is getting poorer, those types of disparities seem to be more apparent. And I'm hoping that they're so evident in front of us that maybe we'll be able to muster some collective action to address them. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting that like, because I think, you know, when George Floyd was murdered, a lot, a lot of stuff, a lot of, I think a lot of positive change is happening now in that you have, myself included, like white advocates finally feeling an obligation to speak out against that stuff. I don't think there's ever been uh, the impetus to do it as much as now. And I think at least in my industry, I see a lot more people of color being given the opportunity to write in writer's rooms and all, all of that stuff, right? Uh, on the other hand, I do think all of this shit is about money. If you don't have any money, the pandemic is very hard. And if you have money, you're fine. Traditionally, marginalized peoples have less money and that's hurting very badly now, right? I'm skeptical about the the change in actual wealth disparity because if you look at the disconnect between the stock markets right now, which are at all-time highs, and everyone that doesn't have stocks, it's unbelievable, right? <laughs> like, I don't believe that the stock market is a good indicator of the health of an economy. That's a very good point. I feel like there's community mobilization occurring out of necessity where neighbors are communicating more to help each other. And I wonder if that will percolate up with the stronger sense of community at the grassroots percolating or bubbling up to change how the policymakers think. Time will tell. Uh, Yeah, I hope so too. I would say I'm the most curmudgeonly optimist that exists, but I think money, money is most people's motivator when it comes down to it. And I hate to say that you really have to work against, I I don't know if it's human nature to be like to vote against your wallet. And I think that's kind of some of the stuff that has to happen, right? I think wealth distribution is, or wealth redistribution is, is great. I think if I were to say, if let's put a tax on me in particular, I would feel that would be a lot harder to say yes to. 
Well, you have to make money to get taxed, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. I don't have anything to worry about, I guess. That it is alarming, but I think the reason I feel comfortable with the future is because of the young people. I think the kids are all right. There mm-hmm. does seem to be a lot of kind of separation of the of the demographic ages in our society. So yeah. there's just been so many changes, but I I think the kids are all right. I'm not sure what their music's all about. <laughs> and I need someone under 30 to just talk me through it all. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you there that the kids are all right. And in fact, the, one of the things that annoys me most is when I hear folks or articles about like, oh, those millennials don't have coping strategies or whatever. That makes you sound like the oldest person in the world. It's like, you know what? Because that's not the way you did it doesn't mean what is a millennial? It's it's someone in another generation. Chill out. You know what I mean? Like that that's that's sort of whitewashing of an entire age group drives me mental. I feel like the younger people too, they have a harder go. They have a harder go in terms of everything's more expensive. Opportunity to make a living wage, it seems to have decreased since our parents' generation. I'm very empathetic to people in their 20s and early 30s or mid 30s, because it's just a different work environment. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I think my was my, my generation I'm 41, so not far off you, but like, Young you blood. Know, <laughs> that's right. The pals I went to business school with, they all have houses and that makes sense. But now when I look around in Toronto, I'm like, how would you ever buy a home here if you're starting work at 20 now or whatever? Like, I, I, it seems so out of reach. And the housing bubble seems to have spread throughout Southern Ontario. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I wonder how we will collectively address the housing issue to make sure no one's left behind. It's an interesting, it's an interesting conundrum. Mm. I certainly, like I was going to say, in, in the sort of arts world, I, there is a lot more intergenerational mingling. Like there's a, when I was doing live shows and improv, there's always a bunch of 20-year-olds. Like that's when you start, you start doing it at, you know, your late teens, early 20s. So there's always that group of folks around. As far as like as a as a group of people, uh, I think there's an energy to youth that you can't manufacture. So like your, you know, your elbows out ability to really struggle for the thing. When I moved to LA, I was 38, and I, I wasn't like chomping at the bit to do a five minute jam at some place in LA. But the kids were, and I'm like, that's awesome and refreshing and great you know all kinds of energy Mm -hmm. the fountain of youth yeah and i think there's also something to like like having the the, hunger to keep learning and to to better yourself whereas i think you know as i get older i get more introspective so it's like oh okay like what am i about versus like let me try everything you know yeah interesting so we're we're going into the second wave, it appears, across North America. There's a vaccine on the horizon. What do you think's next? Well, I think things will get better. <laughs> you know, a vaccine is, is the thing. I, <clears throat> I wonder, like, I'll just speak for my own industry. Like, I think movies will still be shot. TV shows will still be shot. There is some thought that live theater and things, people are going to have so much pent-up demand that they'll be packed. I don't know that um, <clears throat> living a year of isolation 
that that forms a sort of habit too. So a lot of things that have happened, like, and this is positive, a lot of things that have happened in our industry of moving it online, it really has stimulated the move to media that can be distributed to the home. <laughs> I think that's just going to keep, you know, becoming more and more and more. Streaming <clears throat> is going to kind of surpass the movie theater. Yeah, for sure. The, the cinemas, when is that going to be back? You make a good point there because I know in the summer, I would only see people outside. Yeah. I, I haven't been inside with anyone who's not in my bubble. I don't feel comfortable with that. Now, yeah. there might be a few exceptions. I had to take my car to the garage one time. So my friend drove me. We both wore masks. We had the window open. These, how we've just programmed ourselves to adapt to the pandemic. Yeah, totally. All of this stuff will come back, but you burn a groove in your habits, right? So like maybe the nights in are actually quite nice. Like me staying out in the woods. Now I long to stay out in the woods. When everybody gets vaccinated, I don't think the switch is going to be turned back and everybody's going to go back out to, to uh, bars and clubs and theaters and doing all of that. I don't think pe- that's going to happen. It'll be a, a, a slow burn until everybody feels like this is fun again, right? I know I'm looking forward after the pandemic to checking out the new festival theater in Stratford. Um, I'm excited after the pandemic to hear live music. And I'm excited for after the pandemic to see you at Second City somewhere. Yeah, well, fingers crossed, man. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the pandemic show and giving us a unique perspective into the humanities. I would really encourage everyone to check out James' cooking show. Thanks a lot. Appreciate that. Well, thank you very much for your time. James, and I hope you have a wonderful pandemic. Thanks, David. You too. Thanks for listening to this week's story from the pandemic. We're all in this together, and we're glad you're here together with us. Physically distance with us at pandemishow.ca. Be a part of our community by rating, subscribing, and sharing the pandemic show. Thanks for taking a minute to email an episode, share a link, promote us on social media. Stories from the pandemic for the people of the pandemic.